It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My guest today is Mikkel Thorpe, founder and CEO of Expat Money. Mikkel is the world's most sought after expat consultant as he focuses on helping high net worth private clients to legally mitigate tax liabilities, obtain a second residency and citizenship, and assemble a portfolio of foreign investments including international real estate, timber plantations, agricultural land, and other hard money tangible assets. Mikkel hosts the popular weekly podcast, The Expat Money Show, and wrote the definitive number one best-selling book, Expat Secrets, How to Pay Zero Taxes, Live Overseas, and Make Giant Piles of Money. A world traveler since his teens, Mikkel has learned his craft in three unique and unconventional ways. First, by living in himself, continuously pushing the boundaries, testing new ideas around the globe. Next, from diligent and intense study, consuming over 2,000 books and courses on the subject, and finally, by apprenticing and learning directly from the world's top legal experts in the field. Mikkel is a dedicated husband and father of two, and when he's not helping clients or growing a seven-figure consulting firm, he enjoys traveling and spending time with his wife and children. Mikkel Thorpe, welcome into the corner office. Thank you so much for having me here, Brent. It's looking forward to today's conversation. It should be a lot of fun and hopefully uh, educate and possibly inspire some of your audience. And yeah, it should be a really good conversation. Absolutely. Well, what you do certainly inspires me. As I mentioned to you before, we're actually, uh, I believe you're in Panama. I'm not too far away in the island city uh, of St. George's Grenada, where I'm evaluating second citizenship. So uh, I, know, I think our amazing. conversation <laughs> our conversation is very timely. And uh, we, you and I will have a private conversation about that. But so curious about how you got into this work and you know uh, what you've been learning and doing, obviously, in that process. I know you've lived in multiple countries around the world. We want to hear all about it. But we always like to start in the beginning and tell us a little bit about your early days, you know, where you grew up and, you know, mom and dad, what they did and your, your you know, original nuclear family is uh, about. Sure, absolutely. So for my story, I have to go quite far back in time, but I'll, I'll try to keep it as concise as possible. <laughs> so what happened, Brent, was I was, when I was a child, I was diagnosed with a learning disability. And mm. one day, the teacher pulled me out of class and sat me down in a little room with the principal and vice principal and maybe a resource teacher. And they said, uh, Mikkel, something doesn't work quite right in your brain. And what we want to do mm. is do a special school, special school for special boys. So that's what they did. Every day mm. for three years, I got on a little white bus, took a little white bus across town and went to this quote unquote special school. Now, now where was this? What was... part of the world or country? So this was in southwestern Ontario. I'm Canadian, okay. born and raised. Right. 
And uh, this was grade three when uh, when this started. And I was in um, I went there from grade three to grade six. And the only problem was it was actually not a special school. It was a regular school with a special class. So you can probably imagine what happened. I got in tons of fights. I got uh, picked (laughs) on. I got bullied. And it was all around not a fun experience. Now, this is no woe is me, poor Mikkel type of story. Certainly not. I mean, I got hit. I hit back. And I hit back (laughs) twice as hard if I possibly could. I I would never claim (laughs) otherwise. So I'm certainly not a victim in this by any means. But it did leave a bad taste in my mouth for education, uh, public Mm -hmm. education. But eventually, I got to go back to my neighborhood school. And um, I was so excited and I thought, you know, all my friends, they're going to be so happy to see me and everyone's going to be, you know, curious what happened and, you know, just, you know, really looking forward to seeing me. But once again, you can probably imagine what happened. I showed up first day, first week of school and uh, everybody starts gossiping and whispering. Mm. And, oh, I remember Mikkel. He went to some retard school. Oh, Mm. thanks, guys. Very, uh, very sensitive. You know how children can be so sensitive. Kids can be very brutal. Yeah, very brutal. (laughs) But um, like I said, it it did leave a bad taste in my mouth for public education. So Mm -hmm. I stopped going. And then when I stopped going, I started failing. And then um, they'd send me to summer school and then I would fail that. And then somehow I'd get pushed through and then I would fail again. Anyways, long story short, I I stopped going to school when I was 12 years old. And Mm -hmm. I officially dropped out when I was 15 years old. And I started traveling uh, internationally a couple of years after that. And when on I your, went on your own, not with mom and dad, that was on your well, own. Well, yeah. the first one was with my father. I was like 16, 17 years old, but I started traveling solo in my teens as well for, you know, multiple month long trips uh, in Europe and in North Africa and stuff. But it was amazing. When I first started traveling, I started meeting these incredible human beings who were living their lives so differently than anything Mm -hmm. that I had seen in Southwestern Ontario. They learn Mm -hmm. things differently. They structure their lives differently. And, um, and I felt like I really met my people. I I, I met my Mm -hmm. peeps. Yeah. And I decided at a young age that this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to travel the world and explore and, and, uh, see what this world has to offer. And that's what I've done. For... A different, a different educational approach, right? Exactly, of, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Very, what did, very what did mom and dad? What did mom and dad think about that? And you know, did they struggle as well? I mean, did you have brothers and sisters that maybe had a similar ailment? You know, what were those early years like when you were at home? Well, it's interesting because my father had told me while I was growing up that travel was the greatest thing he ever did with his life. You know, he had backpacked right. around Europe a couple of months in the seventies um, when he was when he was growing up and. Um, And he would always show me pictures and the photo album and everything like that. But then my first trip, uh, my first trip overseas as an, well, as a teenager, um, I really saw that he was right. Like travel Mm. is an incredible thing and and one of the greatest things you can do with your life. And it certainly spoke to me. My only question for him or, or, or rhetorically, I guess, was like, why did he only do one trip? Why did he not continue to do trip Mm. after trip and trip? You know, Mm. he did one trip when he was in his early 20s and then that was it. Well, yeah. I wanted to keep going and and that's what I've done. I just keep going and going and going. <laughs> that's So awesome. that was so, my father and then yeah. my mother has been very supportive. My mother even lives with us now here in Panama where where we are. She lived in the UAE with wow. us as well. She's an expat wow. now. Um she's been yeah. with us for 6 years uh with my wife and I. Wow. Um she helps take care of our kids and so it's nice to have grandma around. Sure. Um, so she's always been very supportive of me. 
Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Correct. And brothers and sisters at all? Did you have? Yep. Uh, I've got a brother who traveled with me for maybe three years, four years. He, nice. We lived in Australia for a couple of years. We lived in New Zealand together for a while. Um, he's not traveled as much as me, but he's traveled a good amount. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Solid amount. So in those early years, you obviously didn't go right into your consultancy. And we want to talk about that because you do some very interesting things, as I mentioned earlier, that I'm personally interested in. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. what were kind of things were that what you were doing? Did you kind of work odd jobs or in the service industry, hospitality? Did you work on ships? Tell us a little bit about how you supported yourself during those early yeah, years, particularly was, in that 17 to 20, 25 year, you know, years old. Yeah, it was really any type of hospitality job I could do, you know, yeah. um, I always liked the idea of the geo arbitrage. So basically I would make money in one place and then that was, I could get a good salary or a decent salary. And then I would take that money and I would go somewhere else. So I worked in the ski resorts, um, in, you know, restaurants and things like that for 18 months. And then I took that money and I traveled and hitchhiked and backpacked through Central and South America for 18 months. Then I lived in New Zealand and Australia. I lived down there for about four years between those countries and, Every chance I would get every two months, every three months, I would go out to the islands in the South Pacific or I'd go down to or mm-hmm. up to Southeast Asia or I'd visit other parts of Australia and things like that. So yeah. the early years was just save money and travel, but I would never <laughs> go home in between. I would just continue on. I would just go from one place to another, to another, to another, and just use this, what I affectionately call the hub and spoke model. So I base mm-hmm. myself in one country and I use that as a jumping off point for visiting um, close by countries and cities. And, and was the home country Ontario or did that, that uh, hub move from time to time as you- No, the hub would, uh, always moved. Yeah, so I left yeah. Ontario 20, 23 years ago. And besides wow. a week here or there, you know, every couple of years to see my father, um, that was you it. Never you know, I've been, pretty much yeah. been gone. So. Yeah. yeah. So where have the hubs been? Tell us a little bit about those and then let's talk about the spokes from there. Okay, let's see if I can remember everywhere. Well, I won't go into the <laughs> cities, but I can definitely do the countries. So, um, well, in Canada, I lived in the ski resorts out in Banff and Lake Louise. Nice. Um, then I was in Guatemala for six months. I was a year in New Zealand, three years in Australia, a year in Singapore. Then I was in the uh, Arctic for 366 days. Oh my then gosh, I was wow. in the Middle East. I was in Abu Dhabi for eight years. We've been in Panama for, oh, then Brazil. We were in Brazil for half a year, and now we've been in Panama for almost four years, about four years. Here. Wow. Wow. Fantastic. And, you know, I, I'm not going to ask about work permits because I don't want you to get in trouble with any of those past employers, but uh, <laughs> were, were jobs fairly easy to find? And, you know, if so, how did you kind of go about making those connections when you come to a new place? Yeah, actually, I think everywhere I did have a a permanent residency or a permit to work. Actually, I I forgot to mention the United States. I did travel around the States and lived there for a little while. Um, Don't tell immigration (laughs) about that one. We'll blast that out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But but the rest of the countries, like when I was very young, there's what's called a working holiday visa. So I was, Mm -hmm. I don't know, 22 or something like that. And I would live in uh, New Zealand on a working holiday. And then I did the same in Australia, and then I did um, a bridging visa. So I did 12 months of working holiday visa, then a bridging visa for a year. And then I did what at the time was called a 457, which was basically a skilled migrant worker visa. It, and I did it, that dude. for a year as well. 
And then in Singapore, I got sponsored by a company to work there. I worked for Far East Organizations, which is the largest mm. property developer in Southeast Asia, yep. or yep. was. I'm not sure if they are anymore. This was 15 yep. years ago. Um, but most places I think that I've lived, I've had a permanent residency um, and and a right to live and work there. Yeah. So Fascinating. Well, you're living the life that most people dream about. So, you know, tell us a little bit more about how you did it. I mean, you obviously worked in countries where I'm assuming you probably didn't have the language capability before you went there. Would that be one of the things that you did that you would go and you know, study and learn, you know, Brazilian Portuguese or, you know, any of the Middle Eastern languages or, or did you find that your English carried you uh, and French, I'm assuming, which, which I'm sure you got your Canadian upbringing um, wherever you went? How, how did you kind of tackle that approach? Well, it's interesting because actually the majority of the countries that I live in did speak English. So Singapore, right. although a Chinese city in Southeast Asia, you know, it's 80% Chinese, um, yep. uh, culturally Chinese. Um, and, you know, the rest split between Malay and Indian, Indian. and mm-hmm. other places, Filipinos and stuff like that. Yep. It's um, it's an English-speaking country. Now, mm-hmm. they do speak Hokkien and Teochew and Tagalog and different languages on the side, but but most things are done in English. Well, it's right. the same thing in Abu Dhabi. I mean, eight years I was living in the UAE, and it's a, it's a Muslim country. It's an Arabic country in the GCC, but uh, English is an official language there. So although I probably learned a couple hundred words of Arabic uh, in my eight years there, I didn't need it. I didn't, um, I didn't use it at all um, during my life there. Everything was in English. Um, In Panama, I mean, I speak Spanish. So, I mean, I had to learn Spanish when I got here. And because I backpack and traveled through Latin America, I picked some of it up then. But um, because I own my own business, I work in English. So I do all my consulting clients are online. Um, You know, they're not here in Panama with me or anything like that. They're not Panamanians, let's say. They're Americans and Canadians and Europeans. Um, so everything is done in English. So, right. you know, I picked up a decent amount of languages or language, I would say, you know, not necessarily fluent, but around the world. But English has been very, very helpful. <laughs> Let's put yeah, it that way. Pretty much the lingua franca anywhere else. Exactly. You, you know, places yeah. you've gone. And, and what about any kind of formalized other education? I'm sure, you know, you obviously learned a lot of your Spanish while you traveled. Maybe you took some courses, but was there anything else that you've taken along the way? Did you stop and take any courses, uh, either from an adult education standpoint or any area of expertise, particularly as it led up to you found, your founding of Expat Money? Well, so this is an interesting question. Um, I am highly educated in that I have read a ridiculous amount of books, probably more <laughs> books than than most people have. I, I read on average about 100 books a year and wow. have done for over 20 years now. So mm. um, I, I, I have definitely read over 2,000. I kind of stopped counting, a, well, stopped counting a while ago, right, but um, right. I've definitely read over 2,000 books. And then... Um, I learned a lot by being mentored by really phenomenal people, like um, some mm. of the lawyers that I've worked with throughout the years, um, you know, which I've been really, really lucky. And they were just so generous with their time. So I, I'm very thankful and grateful for that. Um, and then I, I did go back and do like online programs, but non-accredited, not um, not go to university, but you know where they have um, like an online program for law. Like I, I took some online programs at Harvard um, for basically law 101 type of, of right, programs just right. so I could have a background. 
but there was no credits for that. There was no diploma. There's nothing like that. That was just in my free time for fun. I just wanted to have a better understanding of some of the things. So sure. I would go back and, uh, and study that stuff on my own. Yeah. But yeah, never went back to college, never went back to university. Um, I am what I describe or what I call um, a autodidact polymath. So that means that I am an <laughs> expert in multiple fields and I am completely self-taught. <laughs> Excellent. Awesome. And what was the first company that you founded then? Because it sounded like you, you know, obviously did a lot of that hospitality work as you went around. But when did you kind of have that first motivation that, yeah, I really kind of want to work for myself and I can figure out how to do that while I'm still on the road? Well, my life is kind of, or my let's put it this way, my adult life is kind of broken up into these, you know, maybe eight year segments, I would say. So probably it was that first eight years that I was doing, I don't know, whatever random job that I could. Eventually, I got really interested in finance and stocks and equities and things like mm. that. And I self-taught myself this. And um, and I what, found what motivated that interest? Tell, tell just just a quick I pause on that. I think just that I just wanted more money. I just <laughs> wanted to be a little bit <laughs> better off financially off and uh, financially independent. And, yeah, right. yeah, exactly. And I just got really curious about it. So um, I started studying uh, equities. And then I found options trading and specifically uh, selling options contracts. So I did that for probably about seven or eight years as well and made a lot of money and uh, lost a lot of money, blew up my mm. portfolio a couple of times, which was excellent education, you know. <laughs> That's right. It should be expensive. Geez, but <laughs> very expensive. <laughs> you but, learn the hard uh, way that way. Yeah. yeah. Actually, there's a phenomenal book called uh, What I Learned Losing a Million Dollars. I think mm. if I had read that book at the beginning of my <laughs> career in stock trading, I would have been much further ahead. I would have done much better. I think I read it close to the end when I was yeah. kind of like frustrated and on my way out. Right, but right. then I, um, after one of these debacles with blowing up my portfolio, I, um, I decided I wanted to get into entrepreneurship. I wanted to build something. I think I was just yeah. at that time in my life where I wanted to create something. And um, I was really big into fitness uh, throughout my life. Mm. I was an athlete, not team sports, but in martial right. arts and um, skiing and, mm -hmm. um, you know, all these types of things. And I really loved uh, exercise and the mechanics and things. So I think the first thing I tried to do was a gym t-shirt company, which was terrible. And then I wanted to do a supplement company, which was even worse. And then we tried <laughs> to build a gym as well with a couple of my friends and tried to raise capital for that, which was very difficult. And I don't know, I, I tried a whole host of things in the fitness industry for a couple of years and was no good at that or, or you know, it was just a learning experience, um, but right. failed at that. But eventually I sat down with a piece of paper and a pen and I really thought about like, okay, what is it that I'm really good at? What do I really enjoy? Um, and, and what do I have an expertise in? So I had been doing, you know, working in financial markets for probably about seven or eight years. And I had already been an expat by that point for probably about maybe at that time, maybe 14 years, mm, 15 mm. years, something like that. And during this entire time of being an expat and traveling overseas, I had been, you know, opening bank accounts and doing different residencies and figuring right. out the immigration and the legal structures and the tax implications and, you know. Um, investments in real estate and things like that and random countries. And I thought this is, you know, I, I probably have something important to state to say here. Mm. So when you mm. combine that with my, you know, my understanding of the different cultures and the languages and the people and everything like that. Anyways, I took the, um, I took the 
the two concepts and I mashed them together and I created mm. expat money, uh, which is my company today. Yeah. And what year was that? The company officially formed in 2017. Right. Now I was already doing consulting for a while before that, but we actually, you know, we, we officially put the company together in 2017. Got so it. it's uh, six years going on seven years now. And uh, actually it may have even been a little bit earlier than that, but the podcast started in 2017 right. and yeah, we've right. been doing the podcast very regularly there were a couple of breaks in between but we're up at i don't know 230 episodes somewhere yeah. around there right now yeah and it's awesome. been amazing it's been yeah, fantastic great well tell us then you know a little bit more about the company uh we mentioned in your bio you know at the intro what you do but you know give us again maybe a little bit more of the impetus around you know the 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 rationale behind why you founded it and, and what's been kind of most interesting uh in the work that you've been doing in, in consulting with expats yeah, so actually, the funny thing is, I don't actually consult with expats. I consult with okay. people who want to be expats. So, ah, you know, we, I, I affectionately call them expat hopefuls. You right, know, people who right. are living yeah. in Canada or the U.S., and they have an interest to move overseas for whatever yeah. reason that might be. You know, it might right. be political reasons. It might be cultural reasons. It might be just they want a bit of adventure in their life, and they just want to change, you know? So um, what I try to do is help them to, well, first of all, understand the landscape, you know, what is out there, what the countries are like, the culture, all these types of things, and then the legal uh, ramifications of, of moving to a country and the tax implications and, mm. um, you know, the tax implications of their home country. What are their responsibilities to their home country? And then really, you know, work through all of these steps with them, you know, the, the financial, the legal, the tax, right. the immigration, these types of things. So I don't deal with, you know, helping people put their stuff on a shipping container and moving into right. another country. I don't deal right. with the, right. the relocation. I deal with the, the or the, the esoteric type of pieces of it. Yeah. Yeah. But I would say really, Brent, at the end of the day, what I am doing is helping give people the courage to do this. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. I am I am supporting them. Uh, it is an emotional journey. You know, most of my people have never lived overseas. They've traveled, you know, right, they've got a, right. an adventurous streak, but they've never like left everything behind and moved to a brand new country on the other side yeah. of the world, you know, yeah. with by themselves or with their family. They don't know anyone. They don't know what to expect. And it's this unknown. So I, I want to be there to support them and give them the courage through it and and handhold them, handhold uh, with them through it. And uh, it's beautiful work. I, I mm. truly, in my heart of hearts, in my soul, love the work that mm. I do. Like, it's, it's just an amazing feeling um, watching. You sound very passionate I, about it. Yeah. I yeah. am, you know, like, yeah. I really am. Because imagine, I wake up every day. I get to do cool interviews on an awesome show like yours. I jump on Zoom calls. I talk to people about the things. I listen to what their problems are. You know, we create, you know lists of their likes, wants, and needs, these things that they desire, this life that they want to have. Mm. And then I'm like this maestro. I, I, I help design <laughs> things with them. And right. everything, I start with a blank piece of paper and a pen. And I just, you know, everybody's plan is slightly different and everybody's wants and needs is different. But, you, you know, they come into the calls at the very beginning, very stressed and their shoulders are mm. up and, they, you know, they're, they don't know what to expect. Right. And after a couple of calls and, and a, 
you know, working through this process, you can just see their shoulders drop and, mm. you know, they just become very slow and calm and they're really, they're excited, but they're confident, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's very think this satisfying. Is cool. It yeah. is. It is really Super good. satisfying. Now, do you have employees that work for you? Do you have consultants that help you in these other matters, you know, legal, financial, et cetera? How do you kind of organize that support for these folks? Yeah, the I've got mortgages? a, I have a beautiful team. I've got uh, 18 full-time employees. So I, I have full-time lawyers who work for me and right. graphic designers and web developers. And I don't know. I've got lots of uh, people who work for me. I'm the only one who does the consulting. I, I, I'm very hands-on with this. Right. Right. Um, so, they, But we put out a ton of free things at expatmoney.com where you know a lot of my staff will help manage those types of things. Like, you know, I, I very much believe in working my core competencies and for mm. me it is it is writing and it is speaking you know so i'm right. not doing any of the the tech development or anything like that for my company but right. um i also joint venture with a lot of other lawyers and um you know work side by side with them so i have a canadian tax lawyer that i work with on maybe not a daily basis but at least a couple times a week we're we're on calls working through clients together um you know, same with my Amer American tax lawyer and some of the American CPAs, which is really nice as well, because then any of the information is still all privileged. You know, the, the client still gets all the attorney client privileges um, because everything is signed off that I'm an official um, right. representative of the client. So the lawyer can speak to me about these things. So sometimes we get on and we'll discuss the tax implications or the, the legal implications. And I really QB, I, I quarterback the entire team because you can imagine, you know, you're moving to a new country. Um, it's not a one-person job. I mean, you're going to need the immigration lawyer for the country you're moving to. You're going to need the tax lawyer of the country that you're leaving. You're going to need to have a place to live, so we're going to need a developer. Um, right. There's probably service providers uh, involved. Sometimes we're doing citizenship by investment. Actually, often we're doing citizenship by investment. Yeah. Like you mentioned, Grenada. Right. Grenada is yeah. a fantastic country. St. Keith's and Nevis, Antigua and Barbuda. You know, so we have representation in these countries that we work right. with and you know, partner with a lot of other firms to really make it a team, uh, team mission to help the people. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. What's the typical kind of age demographic profile of your clients? Well, um, so for my private consulting, I work exclusively with high net worth individuals. Okay. So my sweet spot is kind of that two to $10 million net worth range. Now, I do have a client at the $70 million, and I've got another one at $150 million, but those are kind of outliers. As for ages, you know, it's kind of that 50 plus, 50 to 65, yeah. 70. Although Empty I do nesters, have a... kids are grown, you know. Yeah, and then I do have some clients who've got young children. I, I have two mm. young children myself, so I, I'm sure that... Um, that plays a big part. Like I do, I'm very family orientated. All my work is very family orientated. So I have, you know, 30 somethings and, you know, 40 somethings with kids, but uh, real go getter type of people, you know? Um, and then those people that are just not quite at that level, that's okay as well. Because as I said earlier, there's just a ton of free content on our podcast, on the expat yeah. money show or blogs or webinars or newsletters. And, you know, I probably give away 90%, 99% of my work for free, but uh, it's that, you know, the one-on-one -on -one time is what I charge for. And that's yeah, kind of yeah. the, the higher net worth people. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. And what were, you know, you say some of the biggest challenges you've had as you've set up this company. I mean, it's been six, seven years, Corey, kind of beyond that initial startup phase, you've got 18, 20 employees. 
but you know, I'm sure there was some growing pains in the beginning, particularly, you know, that you've been moving around a lot. And I, I assume you've been in Panama for the last six or seven years, right? So has the company been founded since you've been there? Or no, so we've been in Panama for, for four years oh, now, four almost years. Okay. four years. So yep. Prior so we, to, so you even moved the company from place to place, you know, during the correct, time that you correct. had it set up. So, so tell us a little bit about that. How, you know, how's that early days went? You know, was it all success from the very beginning and made money from day one? Did you have some early challenges that you can share with us? And if so, what were they? Well, you know, the beginning I think is really just trying to find out the exact niche because I mean I didn't mm. I didn't create a company with a widget and I'm just selling a widget. Right. I mean I'm selling really highly specialized, highly um, detailed uh, knowledge base that not many people have this level of information. So mm. there's no, you know, there's some other people who do similar type of work that I do, but they're not really competitors. I mean we do different things, we take care of different people. Um, right. It's a totally different business. So I guess the early problems or, or challenges were trying to figure out exactly what I wanted to do and how I wanted to structure the things, who I wanted to help, you know, my yeah. tribe, like we talked about earlier. Right, right. So that was kind of, you know, throw something at the wall, see if it sticks, and then kind of go from there. So I've tried many different ideas, um, but eventually I found a real formula, uh, especially for the consulting, which really works well, how how I bill for it, the time, mm. the the process, you know, my, my proven process for working with people through this and, and the steps and everything that goes into that. And um, it's been a bit of trial and error, but it's like a well-oiled machine at this point. So it's, yeah, yeah. it's really good. Yeah. And is the podcast kind of a business development opportunity for you? Do you get business through that? Has it been more kind of, as you said, that 99% of information sharing? How do you kind of develop your, your, your clientele? Well, okay. So in a business like mine, where I am dealing with very uh, personal matters, and uh, very emotional matters of a client, it is unbelievably important that they know me, that they know me sure. and like me and trust me. I mean, that's the old adage, no like and trust, right? right. Well, um, I don't think there is a better medium in the world than podcasting to help accomplish this. Hmm. So, you know, every single Wednesday at 6 a.m., a podcast comes out and it's me uh, and, and a guest. Half the episodes are me, half the episodes are with a guest uh, talking for an hour to two hours about uh, an individual subject and going really, really deep. But hmm. in a lot of the episodes, there's a lot of my personality in there as well. I talk about right. my family and my that my wife is from mainland China and my kids were born oh. You know, my, my daughter was born in the UAE. My son was born in Brazil. And we, you know, we travel almost every month to a new city or a new country. So all of these types of things, I talk about the business and, you know, my business is doing very well. It's a seven figure business, you know, so I talk about what goes into that and my work schedule and, you know, the micro and the mm. macro of how I set up my life and the success. And when I mess things up, I put that in there as well, you know? <laughs> Vulnerability so, and humility is important, no question about well, it. Well, it is, and it's transparency, you know? Yeah, People yeah. need to know that uh, that you're a real human being, uh, that you're not infallible, uh, that you're doing the best you can. And, and add to all of that, they want to know where you stand philosophically. Mm, you know, they want to understand what your belief patterns are, you know, right. your ethics, your morality. So 
that all shines through very, very well on my podcast. You listen to some yeah. of my episodes, and I think you'll have a very good understanding of who I am. And so when I start working with a new client, um, they feel that from the beginning, you know, and, right. and I'll give you another example. Um, we are doing my 40th birthday coming up very, very soon. Congratulations. Uh, thank you very much. And we've already got about 100 people confirmed that will be flying in from all over the world. I mean, oh. I got people flying in from New Zealand, uh, oh. Thailand, Portugal, uh, England, Ireland, Colombia, Brazil, uh, obviously all over the United States and Canada. And, you know, people do that because even though they may have not met me in person, you know, they've listened to the podcast and they've, they've heard me or read my newsletter every day. I, I put out a daily email um, for the last eight years. Uh, even before I started the podcast, I was doing the email newsletter. Uh, so people feel like they really know you. And then yeah, all of my clients, yeah. lots of Zoom calls with them. And it's just a great opportunity to meet people in real life. So that's that's the... That's fascinating. So these are these are clients, as well as I'm sure family and friends that are coming for your 40th. From around the world. Yeah, clients and subscribers. Some of yeah, them I've never met awesome. before. Never met, you know, yeah. but Fabulous. You know, they feel comfortable enough to get on an airplane and come over here. And, yeah. and the great thing is that I will take care of them and they're going to have an amazing time and they're going to meet so many other wonderful people from our community. And, uh, and I love that. I think it's just the coolest thing ever. Yeah. That's awesome. That sounds like a lot of fun. You're, you're obviously have hired people over the time and, you know, of course we work in the recruiting world. So we always like to ask questions around kind of decisions on that. What do you look for when you're, you know, making bets on the people you invested in hire at uh, expat money? Well, you know, talk about a subject where you, I have made many mistakes in my life. This is, a, <laughs> this is not an easy one. You really think that you would just be able to go out there, po post a job and just get someone great. You know, you, you kind of think that they will, they will have this love and devotion for your business like you do. Right. It's, uh, right. it's really not the case. Um, mm -hmm. I think people are just so distracted in today's day and age and they're just all over the place and, um, they just, a lot of people just don't care. I think there's a lot of fraudulent people out there in the world mm. as well. You know, they say they're going to do something or they, they say they have the relevant experience and background and they don't. I think that this is becoming more apparent with remote work. Um, you know, people working, you know, people getting two or three full-time jobs and yeah. then just doing the absolute minimum to Qu quietly know, to quitting the, the other ones. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> this is really scary stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, what I have found works really well is, um, first of all, I, I'm, I am front and center with my belief patterns. I am very freedom minded. I am very, uh, liberty minded. So I put that absolutely at the center of all of my, um, my job postings that right. I'm looking for someone of the same. So I will talk to them and I will ask them kind of leading questions and, you know, kind of understand what their philosophical mindset is. This is not a political thing. This is a, a, a genuine um, ethics type of thing. Do they understand, right. uh, you know, things like the non-aggression principle and stuff like that? Hmm. Um, and then from there, what I do is just a trial period, just a very, very simple, I'm going to throw you in the deep end. Yeah, let's, let's see, see what happens. Yeah. Um, and... And that's it. Most of the job positions in my company, actually pretty much all of them, at one time or another, I've had to do them myself. Right. <laughs> so right. I have learned, although I might not be a world-class uh, web developer or 
IT specialist or these types of things, at least I know how long it should take and, and what needs to go into it. Um, same with like graphic design. Like I know if a project should take an hour or it should take a week. Right. Uh, so I can kind of watch from the sidelines and see how they perform. And then I just see how they interact with my other staff. I mean, all of my staff, save one, is uh, remote. So mm. we just use a very simple solution. We have Telegram groups for each one of the different projects that we work on. And then we've got a Trello board that um, you know we define all the pieces of the project. And uh, I have a business manager who I hired. And it's just his job to keep the rest of the staff uh, occupied and organized. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what's worked for me over the yeah. years, you know, but that's yeah. been a lot of trial and error. Awesome. Awesome. I feel like we've just barely scratched the surface, but this has been in very, very interesting, but we're almost out of time. But we always ask one last question of our guests. And, you know, that's kind of what career and life advice would you have to someone who, you know, maybe wants to have their own company someday or become an entrepreneur and, you know, run their business internationally. What, what would you say to those folks? Well, I think that there is a couple of things, but I'll try to keep it very concise. Um, the first thing is that you will make a ton of mistakes and you will screw things up and you will lose a lot of money. And that's awesome. You're supposed to. <laughs> like, no one said this is going to be easy. Don't expect to hit a grand slam home run, you know, your first time at bat. Right, this, right. You, you have to go through all these things. You have to suck at first, okay? Right. That's the important thing. Anything you do in life, it's important that you suck at first and that you work through it because eventually you will not suck. At, at some point, you will just be average, you know? Right. And then after you go through it a little bit longer at being average, you'll be okay. And you, got, you have to go through all these phases, um, you know, to get Iterations. really good or excellent, yeah. Yeah. you know? Right. And those are important stepping stones. Now, there are ways to shortcut it. I truly believe that reading and self-education are, are absolute shortcuts, especially uh, reading and studying and mentoring from real people who have done real things. You know, I want to learn business from someone else who did business opposed to, right. you know, a prof who, you know, read about it in a textbook and is yeah. Um, yeah. regurgitating, wrote yeah. stuff right. that, you know, that they learned. Uh, yeah. I want real people who built a business, uh, scaled a business, multiplied a business, sold a business, blew up a business. I mean, all of these types of things. I think those are great people to work with. Yeah, but at yeah. some point, you need to jump in and you need to do it yourself. Right, right. Well, terrific advice and counsel. Mikhail Thorup, founder and CEO of Expat Money, thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.